And so what's gonna happen this morning is we're gonna hit the 10th plague, which is, uh, is, is absolutely uh, epic. And then we're gonna hit kind of this climactic point of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And those two things are gonna uh, smash together this morning. Um, and we're gonna try and sort each of them out uh, as they are coming together. But in order to get a good running start, we need to be reminded of what has gone on this far. Because if you just drop in at plague number 10, uh, you're gonna have a lot of questions. And so let me just kind of try to get you to this point. Uh, basically what we've, what we've seen is that the children of Israel have been under harsh slavery for 400 years. And that kind of comes to a head as Pharaoh, uh, who is the, the king of Egypt, the ruler in Egypt of the day, uh, instead, of, instead of honoring and blessing God's people, which had happened in generations past, uh, this Pharaoh, out of uh, absolute fear and a desire for control and for power, he gives this edict to uh, basically like a genocidal edict. He says that all the firstborn sons of the, of the uh, Israelites are to be wiped out. Uh, he is worried about, uh, about their multiplication. He is worried about the Israelites overcoming and consuming the Egyptians. And so instead of seeing them as a blessing, he sees them as a curse and orders that all of the children, uh, all of the firstborn sons are wiped out. So it's important that we see this because he could have in this moment aligned with, again, as in generations past, aligned with Yahweh's purposes. He could have aligned with God's people and God's people could have been a blessing to Egypt. But he colludes with dark and evil powers and sets himself to destroy uh, Israel. Uh, this is absolutely catastrophic because it's Israel that God said it's through this family that I'm supposed to be bringing the blessing of the nations to, right? So, so what Pharaoh and Egypt and these dark and evil powers have set themselves against is God's plan for the renewal and redemption of all of creation. And so we have to have that in our minds as we understand these plagues. And so God raises up Moses to deliver the children of Israel and, and begins to bring judgment on the house of Pharaoh in the form of plagues. So here we go. We're going to jump into scripture here. Exodus chapter four. And as you're on your way there in Exodus four, just want to remind you that if you do not have a copy of scripture that you can take home with you uh, today, please, after service, uh, head on out to the resource center. We would absolutely love to send you home uh, with a copy of God's word. So Exodus chapter four, verse 22. Now this is key. This is a warning. This is God telling Moses what he's going to say to Pharaoh. He says, then you will say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Heavy words. These are words of warning that Moses gives to Pharaoh before any of this begins. He delivers a word of warning, reminds Pharaoh who Yahweh is, that God's people are Yahweh's children, right? This is his covenant family. And that if you do not relent, then the evil that you seek on God's family will end up being bent back onto you and you will experience the very thing that you are trying to uh, execute on Israel. So, we know the story. We read the, la the, the first nine plagues last week. Pharaoh does not relent. And we begin to see these plagues of what we called last week, these plagues of uncreation. 
It's fascinating that in the book of Genesis, there are seven days, right? In the creation narrative, there are seven days. But there are 10 times in the book of Genesis where God speaks and something is created. That happens 10 different times. How many plagues are there? There's 10 plagues. And the climactic point of creation in the book of Genesis is these God speaks 10 times. The climactic point is the creation of these image-bearing human beings. That's the climax of creation. And here in these plagues, God is essentially deconstructing creation. There is chaos. The animals that humans are supposed to have dominion over are dying, are multiplying in ways way beyond their, their borders. The light is, is all confused. It no longer has, has its boundaries. There is darkness when there should not be darkness and light when there should not be light. So all of this is descending into chaos. And the climactic point of this, instead of the birth of image bearers, is the death of image bearers. So 10 times this happens as God brings about these events which unravel creation. And what's he doing? What is God doing? He tells us in Exodus 7, 5, God is demonstrating who he is He says that the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel. So why this judgment? What is happening? First of all, God is demonstrating his superiority over the gods of Egypt by confronting evil head on. One of the things that we cannot do is lose sight of the fact that this is not just human beings behaving poorly. This is the the intersection of dark and evil spiritual power colluding with human beings that are bent on not the worship of Yahweh, but the worship of themselves, and as a result, bringing violence and chaos and destruction into the world. And we know that pattern because that pattern starts in Genesis chapter three. So God is confronting and demonstrating his superiority over those Egyptian gods. He's also judging the household of Pharaoh for the repeated cursing of God's people. 400 years and genocide have been prescribed to God's people. And God is saying in these moments, enough is enough. The final thing that I think is happening here is God is miraculously allowing Pharaoh the opportunity to change course. And over and over again, we see God say, here is the demonstration of who I am. Let my people go. Giving Pharaoh an opportunity to change course, to change direction, and yet simultaneously as God does this, and we know the pattern, what does Pharaoh continue to say? No. What does that do? It brings to the surface, in those acts of judgment, it brings to the surface the reality of Pharaoh's hard-heartedness. We see every time as he responds to God by saying no, we see the reality of what is really There And he says, if you do not turn, then what's going to happen is God is going to invert his evil back on himself. Just like he said he would do in Exodus 4. He said, this is going to happen. This this evil that you have been perpetuating is going to be turned back on you and is going to be uh, devastating. So here we go. Exodus 11. I thought about summarizing this for you this morning, but I just think, and this is a weighty passage, I just think the best thing for us to do uh, this morning as we attempt to study it and make sense of it is just to read it together. So I'm gonna read all 10 verses of Exodus chapter 11 if you wanna follow 
along. This is not the moment where this plague occurs, but this is gonna be what the, the, the final warning. This is gonna be where this, the final plague is declared, that it is going to happen. And you're gonna see God speak. You're gonna see Moses speak to Pharaoh. There's a, there's a few different things that happen here, but we're just gonna read it all together. Chapter 11, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Just if you're interested in what in the world that means, there's some really cool stuff there. We're not gonna cover it today, but there's some really interesting things there. That's a fun one to go and learn about. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel." And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger, speaking of Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all the wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Exodus chapter 11 is the delivery of absolutely devastating, devastating news. We realize that at some point in all of this, there has been a point of no return, which has been reached. And that, that, that warning in Exodus four is about to come to fruition. This is the moment in Exodus 11 where there's the convergence of those two things I said at the beginning of the sermon. This is the convergence in the height of judgment. This is also the moment, and you read it in verse 10, this is also the moment where we, where we are brought into clear view the reality of the connection between judgment and hard-heartedness. That last verse in Exodus chapter 11 tells us that what's happening, uh, what's about to happen in this 10th plague is deeply connected to hard-heartedness. Now remember, there's something key we have to remember in order to make sense of all this. Remember that the story is written in such a way that it draws our attention away from one specific rebellious human being. In the movies and in Sunday school and the retelling sometimes of this story, we can dangerously lose sight of the way that the text is actually written and we can focus in on this is God versus one human being named Pharaoh. Remember, we've talked about this. You are in biblical scholars. Pharaoh is not a name, it is a title. And scholars believe that throughout this Exodus narrative, we actually are interacting with multiple different Pharaohs throughout this, throughout this time. So this is not God against one man, Pharaoh. 
It's written in such a way, and this is key, that allows us to see Pharaoh and the kingdom of Egypt as an archetype of human rebellion that's connected to Genesis 3 through 11. Remember, we have to read the whole Bible. We can't just read little sections. And as we read the, all of scripture, one of the things you're gonna pick up at the very beginning, as you read through Genesis 3 through 11, that the rebellious serpent in the garden in Genesis 3 and the rebellious human beings that join the rebellious serpent start to bring violence and chaos and destruction into the world. So much so that there are various points within the story that God has to shut it down because it is absolutely out of control and bringing his good order, good creation into absolute chaos. And we've seen that pattern in Genesis 3 through 11. And now that same pattern is rearing its ugly head. And so as we read Exodus, we should be reading it and going, oh, I've seen that before. I recognize that, that, uh, that pattern from scripture. And so each of these plagues is a very raw and ugly picture of the reality of evil in the spiritual realm and in human beings. This is kind of one of those passages that we like to turn away from. We like to believe that human beings are really just a whole lot better than that and that sin really isn't that serious. But Exodus makes us look at the reality of dark and evil power in rebellion against Yahweh and the ways in which human beings that interact with that and join in with that rebellion bring into the world chaos and violence and destruction. Exodus makes us look at that as it demonstrates it in Pharaoh and in the kingdom of Egypt. And did you notice that what God said in the 10th plague was gonna arise from Egypt. What was it that was gonna arise from Egypt in the 10th plague? A deep what? Cry, a deep anguish. Does that sound familiar? Where have we heard that before? That is the deep cry and the deep anguish of the Israelites under 400 years of harsh slavery. It is that deep cry of anguish that God heard in the heavens and was responding to, said, I am coming myself to give you a rescue. And now that very deep cry that is, that is there because of the infliction of sin and death and evil on the Israelites is now being bent back and experienced by the Egyptians. It's the groaning and the crying out of the pain of sin and evil. And we have to see that in this narrative or we're gonna get all mixed up. So what in the world is this telling us about hard-heartedness? Why is that part of this judgment? What's going on here? I wanna take you through. And this is where if you are a note taker, get ready. If you are not just you're gonna enjoy this. We're just gonna breeze through scripture here. We're gonna trace out the trajectory of hard-heartedness. Something significant happens if you're paying attention. And I wanna to, to point to what that is because I think it's gonna help us make sense of this. We're gonna start in Exodus chapter three. In Exodus chapter three, verse 19 and 20, God tells Moses that he knows, that God knows that Pharaoh is going to resist what God is asking. God has and demonstrates in Exodus chapter three, God has an intimate knowledge of the heart and mind of Pharaoh then and into the future. 
And what, what, what does that mean? Well, Jeremiah chapter 17, and we went over this passage uh, at the time, but I wanna read it to you uh, again. We, we went over this when we covered this a while back, but I want to read it to you again. In Jeremiah 17, verse 10, listen to these words. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Who else, by the way, church, who else can do that? Who else can do that with perfect accuracy, search the heart and test the mind? There is none but Yahweh, there is none but our creator God that can search the heart and test the mind, that is intimately acquainted with the thoughts and the heart of human beings. And he says in verse 10, the back half of that verse, so that he can give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. What does it tell us about God's justice? We know that scripture tells us that God, God judges in perfect righteousness and justice. Why? Because it is only God that can see and know the heart and the mind. Why am I unable to judge? Because I cannot see clearly. It is only Yahweh that has the power to perceive what is deeply embedded in the human heart, beyond which I cannot see of my own heart, God can see and know. And he tells Moses, I already know his heart and I know how that's gonna be perpetuated over and over again and he will resist. Go back to Exodus chapter four. In Exodus chapter four, God says this strange thing. He says in verse 21 that I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, wait a minute. That throws some red flags for us. Wait a minute. What does that mean? God already knew that Pharaoh was going to resist, but now God's saying that he's going to do something. In Exodus chapter five, verse one through two, we're given a window into Pharaoh's heart, when Moses says that Yahweh wants the children of Israel to go, what does, he, what does he tell him? He says, who is Yahweh in verse two of chapter five, that I would obey his voice and let Israel go? Who is Yahweh that I would obey him? Do you hear it? This is important that you hear it because Pharaoh is being worshiped as God. And he says, who is that God that I, a God, would obey him? Do you hear that? That's not just, I don't, I'm not really familiar. Can you say that in Hebrew, right? That is, who is this deity that I would bow to him? He says, I will not, because I do not know him. I will not let Israel go. We get a window into exactly what God told Moses was going to happen. In chapter seven, Verse three, this is again before the plagues begin. God again talks about how he will act on Pharaoh's heart, that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now there's a really important thing that happens here that we need to pay attention to in chapter seven, verse 13 and 14. And I'm gonna read this to you because in our minds right now, we're going, wait a minute, what's really happening? God seems to be speaking of something that Pharaoh's doing, but God is also talking about acting. What is going on here? Now watch this in verse 13 and 14. This is gonna be a huge puzzle piece as we dive into the plagues. It says, this is after Moses and Aaron uh, demonstrate who they are before Pharaoh. And it says, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. So verse 13 and 14 tells us that who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Ah, careful. It doesn't say who. It just says that it became hard. This is really interesting. This phrase 
is in the Hebrew what's called a stative verb. And I think I'm saying that word stative correct. Some of your translations attribute somebody to the hardening of the heart. That's a, that's a uh, I'm gonna say, I think that's a bit of a translation error, okay? This is not meant to give any indication as to who's doing the hardening of the heart. It's meant to not tell us. It's a stative verb. And this means we don't know who's initiating the action. The Bible just tells us here that it became hard. We don't know who exactly is doing it. So there is, and the point is, there is a little bit of mystery around the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. What's really going on? And we, we got here thinking, is it Pharaoh? Is it God? And then here we just know it just happened. So what's really going on? That is the momentum that we have heading into the plagues. Are you guys good? Stative verb, okay, you good? Okay. So this is the momentum headed into the plagues. Now I'm gonna go really fast through the plagues. There's a pattern in the plagues that we need to pay attention to. The first plague, chapter seven, verse 22. After the first plague, the water turns to blood. It says, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he wouldn't listen to them. There's that stative verb. It remained in the state that it was. It doesn't tell us who does what. Look at the plague of the frogs, chapter eight, verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now that one's clear, isn't it? That reads real clear in English. Who hardened his heart? Pharaoh. This one tells us that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Look at the plague of gnats. Just a few verses later in chapter eight, verse 19. It says, then the magician said to Pharaoh, remember we covered this last week, they said, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Again, there's this stative verb, who's doing what? Look at the plague of flies in chapter eight, verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time, watch this word, also. You're paying attention, very good. Now, this time it tells us that Pharaoh is the one that hardened his heart, but that word also is really, really, really important because what is also doing? Where is it pointing, to future action or past action? Say past. Good job, you got it. It's past action. And so it says that he hardened his heart this time also, indicating that this had been going on. It starts to bring into some clarity what's happening when we see this stative verb. Who is it that's actually acting? It feels a whole lot more at this point like Pharaoh is totally in charge. Look at, look at verse, I'm sorry, chapter nine, verse seven. Chapter nine, verse seven. This is after the plague of Livestock And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go. So that's the first five plagues. And what do we have here? We have some ambiguity that it just, that his heart became hard. We also have multiple times where Pharaoh is the one that hardened his heart. And then we have that word, that tricky word also in there, as if that's kind of what's been going on anyway. Now, I wanna tell you, that there is an absolute shift that happens after plague five. There is a major shift that happens after plague 
five. And what appears to happen is that somewhere after plague five, Pharaoh appears to have crossed a point of no return. He appears to have crossed to a point of no return. And this seems to be the moment where Yahweh seems to begin to bend Pharaoh's evil back on himself in order to judge Egypt and free his people. Because remember, God said that he was going to act on Pharaoh's heart, but we don't have that in the first five plagues. All we have is Pharaoh's action. But here, there's a line that seems to be very clearly drawn in the sand. And in the next five plagues, what you're gonna see is you're gonna see heavily God's influence on Pharaoh's heart. And you're gonna see a little bit of Pharaoh's influence on his own heart. Something changed. Something changed and we have to pick that up. Let's keep going. Look at the, the plague of the boils in chapter nine, verse 12. I just wanna show you this. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Look after the plague of the hail. So it says clearly, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. After the plague of hail in chapter nine, verse 34. Now this one is really interesting. It says, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again. There's a also kind of word. He sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So here now we have Pharaoh again acting. The next plague after the plague of the locusts in chapter 10, verse one and verse 20. In verse one, it says, I have hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's what Yahweh says. I have hardened Pharaoh's heart. And in verse 20, it says, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go. So again, the Lord is acting. After the plague of darkness in chapter 10, verse 27, it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then we see it at this climactic point in chapter 11, verse 10, the plague of the, the, the death of the firstborn, it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. A decisive shift after plague five. Interestingly enough, and we're not going to go there, but if you are wanting to do a little further study in Exodus chapter 14, two different times it talks about this. After the children of Israel leave, Pharaoh totally changes his mind and decides to pursue them. Again, showing what was really there. In Exodus chapter 14, verse eight, it says that his heart was again hardened. And this is the point where in absolute, just if you're reading the story, you just go, this guy is insane. Because in an act of absolute madness, after all of that, Pharaoh is totally enraged and sends out his armies after the children of Israel and Yahweh completely snuffs them out in the Red Sea. He literally drives his kingdom into absolute catastrophic annihilation based on his hardness of heart. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? Is it ambiguous? Is it Pharaoh? Is it God? Is it all of these? What do we make of it? Clearly, Yahweh does something, but clearly, Pharaoh is working as well. What happens? And I would say this. This is hard, okay? Put your Bible scholar hat on because this stuff's not easy. But there are those who look at this story and they ascribe to God the engineering of evil so that God can achieve his purposes. And I just, 
I don't, or, or they'll add in that Pharaoh never had a chance. And I just don't see that at all. Here's what I see, and you have the absolute right to disagree. Here's what I see, I think the rest of scripture really holds out for us to land on, is that God sees and knows perfectly the human heart. We know that, that's clear. And there seems to be a point of no return in the human heart that you and I cannot perceive in ourselves and cannot perceive in others. There seems to be this, there is a line. And I don't know where that line is in my own heart, nor do I know where that line is in your heart, but there seems to be a clear line. Somewhere in plague five and thereafter, Pharaoh seems to have arrived at somewhere in that line where God sees and knows, and I have reached a point of absolute no return. What's fascinating about this story and what I think we have to grab here is that in the Exodus story, but also most prominently on the cross, even the greatest wickedness and evil cannot overcome the goodness and the love of God. That somewhere in this, Pharaoh has reached this point of no return. He's colluded with powers of darkness and sin and evil and he himself is all wrapped up in it and he is wicked beyond repair and he is colluded with wickedness and evil beyond our imagination. And yet even then, set on the annihilation of God's covenant people. And here's the deal, you have to get this, that if God's people are wiped out, so goes with it God's purposes for the renewal of all creation. So this is, this is important because what darkness and sin and evil had set themselves to do is annihilate God's plan of redemption. And even in the face of absolute evil and absolute corruption and wickedness of human beings, God's goodness and love is not overcome. God is able to steer the course of human history to his ultimate purposes of new creation and the uniting of all things in heaven and on earth in Christ Jesus, as the book of Ephesians tells us. I read an, uh, an article that the Bible Project wrote on this passage and, and kind of in summary of like, what do we gain from this? I thought this was such a, such a poignant quote here. I want to read it to you. It says, the point of the story is not to tell us that God engineers evil. It's a cautionary warning to you, the reader, saying, don't be like Pharaoh. Listen to this. This is the part that really struck me. Strange things happen in the human heart and mind when we let the evil urges of our broken nature go unchecked. Can we just slow down in that sentence? Strange things happen in the human heart when we let the evil urges of our broken nature go unchecked. God will always graciously offer us chances to turn back, but this is huge. Sometimes a person can cement themselves in a destructive path and reach a point of no return. God can and sometimes will allow our evil to destroy us. That's what we see in Exodus. 
Pharaoh's evil literally destroyed him and many other lives along with it. It says, but the good news is if that last sentence kind of freaks you out, you're not Pharaoh. (laughs) If it kind of freaks you out that you could say no to God and harden your heart enough times that there might be a last time you do that, then that means that there's somewhere in your heart that's still soft to him. But I just don't want us to rush past that reality. Because I think sometimes we play like we can say no as long as we want. I think sometimes we play like our refusal to bend our knee to the lordship of Jesus, to be obedient to him. And by the way, this is not just for those who don't know him. We're gonna pick this up here in just a second. Hardness of heart is absolutely possible for those of us in this room that would call ourselves Christians. But if we somehow believe that we can just say no to God over and over again and that there are no consequences wrapped up in that, I think we are absolutely foolish. Because I think scripture says here that you do not even know the complexities of your own heart. And there is a point in there somewhere that I don't know and you don't know about me and I don't know about you, but there's a no enough times where I will reach my last no. And if that unnerves you a little bit, that's good. Because it's real. And I think it sobers us to the reality of the need to respond to God as he seeks and pursues us. Kids, in your bags, there's Play-Doh. Parents, sorry. (laughs) I love how in the kids' bags, sometimes we give away things that I like really don't like in my house. This is totally one of those things. (laughs) Like, why am I doing, this is literally God bending my own evil back on me. Like, this is, (laughs) can we, okay, good. You can laugh. All right, I know it's heavy. There's Play-Doh, right? Who knows what happens if I just set this Play-Doh here and we come back six months from now? How fun is that Play-Doh gonna be? It's gonna be terrible, right? Is it gonna be moldable? Is it gonna be fun? No, it's gonna be absolutely rock hard and impossible to do anything with. It will be good for the trash can. Here's the deal. What has to happen? It's gotta keep being molded. Come on, listen, church. Come on, this is not just for the kids. Are you here too? The key is for this to remain in the hands of the one who can mold it, for it to be in the right place. And in those hands, it does not grow hard. It continues to be shaped. It continues to be stretched. It continues to be brought into the imagination of the one who is creating it to be what they designed for it to be. God's desire, church, is to shape and mold us by his voice. By the power of God's spirit, the design is that as God speaks to us, as God pursues us, that we hear him, that we listen to him, and that he is the one molding us. But when we say no over and over again, when we say no, I will not be in your hands. Sorry, you can't see that. I'm just gonna sit here Over time, through our no, through our refusal, the Bible calls it the quenching of the spirit, our heart grows hardened. 
What's fascinating to me, what I would really like to believe actually, is that hard-heartedness is only for Pharaoh in Egypt. What's really, really sobering about this story, and we'll get there, is that hard-heartedness shows up in the very people who are rescued from Egypt. It's not gonna be long in this story before the children of Israel, the same ones that are brought out of Egypt and see all of this, it's not gonna be long in the story to where they grow hard-hearted themselves because they refuse to listen. They refuse to obey. They're set on complaining. All they want is old things. And their hard-heartedness brings massive destruction and pain on them as well. So if you sit around here and think, if we think that hard-heartedness is just a problem for those people out there, I wanna just tell you, I think it might be more of a problem in rooms like this. Not this room, of course, (laughs) but rooms like this. I want you to listen to the words found in the book of Hebrews. This is gonna be just kind of our, our invitation. So actually, it would be great if you would stand as I read these words. So Chad, for our call to worship this morning, Chad read out of Psalm 95. The writer of Hebrews is gonna grab Psalm 95 and, and bring it into this letter. Now listen to what he says. And he makes, he makes application to the church that I think is powerful and that we need to pay attention to. In verse seven of Hebrews chapter three, it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. He's speaking about the hardness of heart that showed up in the very ones that were rescued from Egypt. But what is the, what is the day in verse seven? Which day? Which day? Today. He doesn't say tomorrow when God speaks. He says today if you hear his voice, then today is the day. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts because today matters. Today's important. The way you respond right now to the way that God is speaking matters. And he says today with urgency, don't harden your hearts. He says, therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. They apparently have reached this point of no return. And he says, as I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Take care, brothers. And here's where the application comes. Listen to these words as if they were being spoken straight to us, which I think that's exactly what's happening here. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says, exhort one another, not tomorrow, but now he's saying to the church, encourage one another to not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin because sin is deceiving and leads you to believe that today really doesn't matter that much. That my response to God in this moment doesn't really matter that much. He says, no, 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 wake each other up, turn to your neighbor, grab him by the shoulders and go, today matters. 
Today matters. If you are hearing God's voice, respond. Don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And I think the the sobering reality of what we see in the Exodus narrative to this point is I think that each one of us has to realize that without the continual process of hearing God's voice, just like Pharaoh did, but when we hear God's voice humbling ourselves, surrendering to his lordship, if we don't do that day in and day out, then you and I are just as vulnerable, just as susceptible to the hardness of heart that Pharaoh was. The sobering reality is that you and I are not all that different from Pharaoh anyway. We would like to believe that we're not. But in reality, we are. We're the same. Here's the challenge to you, church. What will distinguish us from Pharaoh? It is simply this. If God is speaking, will you respond? If God is convicting you of sin, will you turn and repent? If God is asking for something from you, if God is asking for obedience in a certain area of your life, saying, go here, do this, whatever, are you going to do that? To say no is to take a step towards the hardening of our heart. To say yes is to stay open and moldable in the hands of our good and loving God that wants to shape us into the image of his son. But he will not go without you. He invites you to join him on that journey. So if you in this room today, man, I don't don't know where that hits you. Like I said, I don't think this is just for people who don't know Jesus. (laughs) This is for all of us. If you don't know Jesus and you're in here today and you're going, man, that's me. Like I'm, I've said no to God. I've refused him and I don't wanna do that anymore. And I wanna surrender my life to him. If that's you and what you saw in in, in baptism is a picture of what happens to us as we join him in his death, that we might also rise with him to new life, being restored and forgiven of our sin. If that's you today, and God has led you to a point where you need to surrender your life to him, man, I would just encourage you to do that. And there are people in the back that are ready to pray with you and walk you through what that looks like. This message is for every single one of us. What is God speaking to you in? Where is he leading you? Will you, will you listen? If part of that for you looks like coming up here and spending some time in prayer at the front, that's great. If you need to go pray with somebody, please, 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 please go do that. (laughs) It's crucial. We just read it in scripture. Exhort one another as long as it is today. So we're supposed to be encouraging one another. Go and pray with one another. I just wanna leave you with prayer that the Holy Spirit would lead you and guide you. Father, we, uh, man, we are sobered by this word. God, in my arrogance, I like to pretend that there's no way that I could be like Pharaoh. But in reality, I look at disobedience in my life that pops up all the time. But God, I thank you that you're not looking for me in me a perfect record. You're not looking for me to perform for you, to be perfect for you, that righteousness is not a job that I do. It's a job that you've done and you've accounted to me. But God, you are looking for me to be surrendered. 
You are looking for me to, as we sang earlier, to abide in you, to trust you, to allow you to lead and to guide. And that you will not do for me. You are asking for my partnership. And so God, I just pray that in this room, God, that anywhere where we have hardened our hearts to you, God, would you just convict us as a church? God, would you just find us in this house this morning saying to you as David did, search my heart, Holy Spirit. Find in me anything unrighteous. Find in me anything that I'm withholding from you. God, we do not want to be hard-hearted towards you. God, we wanna be shaped and molded as you desire. So God, would you reveal to us any way in which we are being hard-hearted towards you and bring us to repentance and surrender. And we thank you that you do that because you are good and you love us. So if you're saying hard things to us this morning, we just tell you that we trust you and we know that even when you say hard things, that you are good and you love us. God, lead us by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name, amen.